Welcome to The Balance. My name is Catlin Tucker, and this podcast is sponsored by StudySync. My guest today is John Carippo, the executive director of the Q organization, Q being the computer using educators organization. And it was through Q that John and my paths crossed many years ago. In fact, I even think I've been a presenter at one of his Q rockstar events. So John has had a long history in education. He taught at the K-8 level. He has helped open innovative schools. He worked as an assistant superintendent. He's been an IT director, and he's been recognized with many many awards in the education space. So I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with him today. All right. Well, today I am fortunate to be joined by John Carippo. Thank you so much for being with me. Oh, it is my pleasure for sure. Um, So let's dive right in. Uh, In our kind of pre-podcast conversation, you describe yourself as a formally disgruntled student. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience as a student and how that experience has shaped your thoughts about learning? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for whatever reason, I think I was kind of ahead of my time as a student. Um, I like to draw during class. I will call that sketchnoting. Um, (laughs) I was was a one-to-one student in 1979. A lot of people don't know that was even possible. Um, wow! And uh, that, yeah, it was. I had a Mattel football game. That was my my BYOD one to one program. Wow! Um, <laughs> I got thrown out of my coding class. Uh, I was in a coding class, and I think 1979 again. Uh, the teacher, in a very friendly way, met with my <laughs> mom and I, and said, "John cannot come back to my class." And do you know what the thing I did that got me thrown out of the class? What he said, um, he said that I refused, uh, that I didn't want to listen to lectures, and I only wanted to be on the computer. Yeah, fair well, enough. It is a programming <laughs> class. It's a programming class. <laughs> so um, I was kind of two point nine all the way through because school, like I have a litany of report cards that say John doesn't apply himself. But what I what I now realize from the other end is nobody ever made took a chance to really engage me. Like mm. I didn't want to read chapter six and answer the questions at the end. Like if you, I liked the content, but I didn't. Like the activities, and uh, so that's why I call myself a formerly disgruntled student because I spent a lot of years just, you know, spending time in class. And I had really good attendance in college. I went nearly every class, and but I didn't buy any of the books, and I would do the scantrons without studying and get a two point nine, and I was happy with that. Yeah, it's interesting. I so I have a son who is eleven now, and he is not enjoying school very much. What? How is this possible? I keep keep going to meetings where we have to talk about how he needs to learn to manage his own behavior because I think ultimately he's not super engaged by the experience. And he's actually a very high-level reader, a strong writer, but he's clearly making his own entertainment because he's not finding it super engaging. And from the outside in, as somebody who loves education and is passionate about, you know, our work in this space. It's so sad to hear your own child be like, oh, mm-hmm. it's Monday. Yep. Yep. Exa- exactly. Um, and now with my three kids, I have a kind of a weird split. My son was an educational minimalist, which meant he would do <laughs> the bare, bare minimum that he could to get an A minus. Like he didn't necessarily like it. And he would just do the bare, bare minimum. He was easy, hands-off, just do his thing. My my middle daughter, uh, she is about the same. She's she's in college now, heading towards a nursing degree. And so, you know, she was the same kind of character. But my youngest one really broke my heart when um, she was in sixth grade. 
That might have been fifth. And they had their Native American um, village. They had to build it a Native American village. Like, for, first of all, I'm not sure how that's academic. And then second of all, they did it all at home, right? Oh, geez. And um, listening to her describe her epiphany at school, and she is the people-pleasing, teacher-loving teacher, right? Like, she gets straight A's and teachers love her. Um, and listening to the tone of her voice when she re- realized that she was the only kid that had made her own Indian oh, village. Oh, somebody else was making all the other kids' villages? Yeah, all the parents were making oh. the ones for the other kids. And she felt so scammed. She was like, yeah. what do I do with that? Yeah. And it was so sickening for me to hear her lose her vision of education. Like, I could hear the wind going out of her sails right there. She was like, this whole thing is a scam. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It's not really about what I make. It's about what the teacher thinks the parents do. And it it was heartbreaking. I mean, I could easily, I could, and I'm not a big crier. I could make myself cry about that if I thought about it enough. So that's part of the passion I have as this formerly disgruntled student, right? And, And as a parent of like, how can we make sure, and this is this is a foreign concept to education. Um, I say this a lot, and I think you'll like this quote. Do kids get Fs because they cannot do the work or because they do not do the work? Right. Yeah. And for the vast majority, in under grade 11, like grade 12, if you're doing AP Chem, that you're, that's your own party, dude. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> um, but, um, but from grade 10 and a half on down to kindergarten... We do nothing in terms of attracting or enticing the child. We basically ramrod the child into doing the work. So it's 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 pretty disheartening because what I talk about a lot when I'm talking to teachers is we're, we're aiming at the wrong things, and that's why we consistently get poor results. And so where do you think they should be aiming? Where do you want to see them um, focused? Well, I will use a couple of models that are not theoretical. Okay. Have you heard of a movie called uh, School of Rock? I have. How does that work out? I mean, I was thoroughly entertained. Yeah. And <laughs> and so uh, how about the movie uh, Summer School with Mark Harmon? I don't know if I've actually seen that, if I'm being honest. Oh, you need to watch that Oh, one. really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> or uh, look at Stand and Deliver. Oh, right? yeah. With, that's uh, amazing. With, or, or Freedom Writers. Every great teacher movie. Heck, even Mr. Holland's Opus, which is a made-up movie, mm. right? Every great Hollywood teacher goes and understands that if I don't have a relationship with the child, they will reject me. Yeah. It, I I think relationships are so fundamental. I remember one of my favorite TED Talks is this woman and her my favorite line, I'm sure you've seen this TED Talk. She's like, kids don't learn from people they don't like. You know, you have yeah. to do the hard work of connecting with kids and building those relationships if you're going to learn together, if you're going to create that learning community in your classroom. Yep. So you went from disgruntled student, but then you went into teaching and you were recognized as county teacher of the year. You're like 20 watch educator or the 20 educators to watch from the National School Board Association, a finalist in the EdTech Digest Award. So clearly you thrived once you got in the classroom. What did you enjoy most about teaching? Well, I'm going to reflect back to question one. It was the interaction with the kids was the best. Yeah. That was the best. School is a phase. It is not the best time of your life. It is a thing you go through to get a box checked. My job is to make it better than that. My job is to enhance your experience and make you more you. It is not to break you down. It is not to line you up. 
It is to make the most of you, of whatever that is. That's my job, is to max out. Whatever you bring me, I'm going to max that out. You love video, I'm going to hook you up on Final Cut. You love presenting, I'm going to take you to Apple and present, right? Whatever you are, I'm going to make more of that. Right. And I think what you're speaking to is the idea that we're recognizing every child is an individual with individual strengths and needs and fears and talents. And how do we start pulling those things out of kids and making school a place where they can really thrive and they can become, Mm -hmm. like you said, more of themselves and explore parts of themselves that maybe aren't developed yet, but they're curious about. I'm going to share two quick books and we can transition in the next question. One okay. one of the books that I cannot suggest, if you haven't read, read it. It will blow your mind. It literally made me cry and gave me chills three times because I thought, oh my God, I am that teacher and I'm not going to be that teacher. I am that teacher right now and I'm not doing it. We don't understand the like the predator-prey relationship, the, the precognitive loading of teaching mm-hmm. that's involved. John Taylor Gatto, G-A-T-T-O, read, wrote a book in about 1994 called Dumbing Us Down. Mm-hmm. And it talked about how school was meant to make all the square pegs round. Mm-hmm. The whole goal of school is to remove one's initiative and personality so that they can be prepared to work in a factory. Right. Factory model. And you don't push back on the man. When the bell rings, you leave. Right? Like, So if you want a quick look of what that book could be, look up The Seven, Step, the seven Lesson Teacher by John Taylor Gatto. Um, it, it t- learns about the importance of bells is that no matter how engaged kids are, the bell is more important. Right. Think about that for a second. Yeah. And so kids have to learn to divorce their feelings from their work. And and so those bells are built. And, and a lot of that came from the Prussian military model that, um, mm-hmm. that uh, Horace Mann went and saw. And you've probably seen that in Most Likely to Succeed or in other movies like that. And so what I'm proposing is actually from Terry Jones, the... Um, the Monty Python character who recently died. Um, I'm losing Python characters like crazy and it's killing me here. (laughs) Um, But he wrote a book called The Barbarians. And in the forward, he talks about the idea that the Roman PR machine is still working because when we teach history, the barbarians are considered to be barbaric. And in fact, about 70% of the Roman culture was actually stolen from the barbarians. But the Roman PR machine is we we brought all of this organization to a crazy world. The barbarians were very happy before the Romans got to them. They were fine. And if you look up and do some research, we had uh, Vercingetorix. We have female queens in in England predating the Romans, right? Um, The barbarians routinely had more gold than the Romans, and the Romans would attack them and steal all their gold and then say, we have all the gold. (laughs) It was a screwed up thing. So the reason I'm telling that analogy is I believe what's happening in education right now is that the system set up by Horace Mann is still operating with a ghost pilot. We don't even know why we do the things we do. We don't even know because we were taught to not question the big machine. So I was doing some business reading and I read in a Tom Peters book about Nordstrom's. And I don't think this is fully true, but it's a kind of one of those legendary stories. Apparently Nordstrom's, they only have one rule for the employees. Do the right thing at the right time. So I said, oh my God. I think I'm going to try this in my classroom. Catlin, it is magic. Mm. It's magic. 
kids the first day of school now i'm going to blend john taylor gatto and nordstrom's do you think that those kids spend all summer really thinking about what the rules of school should be so when you walk into a classroom and the teacher goes we made it together no you didn't (laughs) oh oh no that was all coercion that was all coercion and i could use some more negative words if i wanted to right so in my classroom the kids walk in and i go look here's the deal right thing at the right time there's going to be times when we may run in class but you need to know when that is. There's times when we line up and there's times when we don't line up. You may ask me if you can read under the desk and I may say fine. So the corollary to the one rule is, if you're not sure, ask first. So mm-hmm. this started happening. Kids would say things like, I would see a hand up and I would say, what do you, what do you got, Shane? And he'd say, I want to know if I can go uh, to the office. And I would say, now, what would you need to go to the office right now for? Oh, I heard so-and-so <laughs> broke his arm and I want to take him a thank you card. I was like, wow, I unleashed this. You know, mm-hmm. I unleashed the ability of kids to to take their friends uh, a, a get well card because you he heard he just broke his arm during the soccer game, right? So I was like, Shane... I love this idea. You guys, do you want to do a whole class uh, get well card for Micah real quick? And they're like, yeah, 15 minutes. Micah's, Micah's getting get well cards. He's still in the office. They haven't even, ambulances haven't, haven't even picked him up. Events like that start happening when you tell kids that the right thing at the right time. So it's a really magical shift. And then you, 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 you don't say, that's rule 14. <laughs> you broke this rule. You didn't do this right. What I say now is in classes, is that what you're supposed to be doing? Right. And most of the kids go, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm not supposed to be doing this right now. So then my second book, and then we can transition into the next question, is The End of Average by Todd Rose. Um, and it really, in very, very grand detail, goes into the fact that the bell curve is essentially a racist program. Hmm. And this whole concept of you're not college material, that's not up to us, but it's what been prog- programmed into us by the big machine right? Well, you can't let those kids go to eighth grade like that. You know what? They'll be fine. They'll be fine. You know how I know? I made it to eighth grade (laughs) and I didn't know any of this. (laughs) This is way ahead of anything I knew. So the the end of average talks about three really, and it's very well written. It's very Gladwell-esque Freakonomics. It's that anecdotal high level, but super relevant storyline kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And they talk about three things, pathways. Almost nobody gets where they do in the normal path. Almost nobody follows the correct path. Number two is jaggedness, which is that um, you can't uh, uh, stand. How do I say this? Talents and skills are not smooth and symmetrical. They're mm-hmm. jaggedy. Mm-hmm. The kid who's horrible at math might be your times table leader. The kid who's great at football might be your history stud. You just there's no way to predict that. It's unpredictable. And and so my job as a teacher is to uh, discover their jaggedness and bring it to light, which is why I like things like either station rotation and I think you do um like um choice board type mm-hmm. of assignments, right? I hate video. Good. Don't make one. Write me an essay. <laughs> I hate essays. Great. Make me a video. Oh, I hate essays and videos. Make me some slides. Yeah. What do you, what do you have... like? Let's do that. Yeah. What do you like? Whatever. Yo, you want a flip grid. Okay, here we go. Um, and so as long as I give them the content that they need to address, notice I didn't say cover. Mm-hmm. Here's your 14 concepts. Explain them however you want, dude. I don't care. But um, that choice board thing is super powerful because instead of trapping people into one thing. So um, the end of average, I, I suggest it for literally every um, every educator must read those two books to understand why what we do is so broken. 
Right. And then start rethinking it. And and now it's broken. Now you're so you're the executive director of Q, the computer mm-hmm. using educators organization. So you work with teachers all over. And so in that work, what do you see? Is- oh, and I'm here to tell you, and you know this already, right? Same problem everywhere. Am I wrong? Can I get amen? I mean, I see a lot of the, the same problem problems. The problem is the same everywhere. <laughs> so what are they? Yeah. Um, I don't know if these are good analogies or bad, but these are the ones I use. Um, so if you and I both owned a 7-Eleven, how would we have a hot dog contest? Like who makes the best hot dog? We can't. We cook them the same way, right? You got the roller, I got the roller. Uh, our buns come from the same guy. Our our dogs come from the same guy. We only have the same condiments. How could we have a hot dog uh, making contest? Like, who makes the best hot dog, John or Catlin? We can't. All of our ingredients are exactly the same, and our process is exactly the same. So I go around to school after school after school, and guess what? They try the same crap, and it's still not working. Hmm. And so uh, I got this quote from Tim Gorey, another cool Q member. He said uh, his superintendent came to the cabinet meeting and he said, the only way I can tell which school I'm at is by double checking the mascot because every school is doing exactly the same stuff. We are trying to be better at being the average of being the same. Well, and I think a lot of those invisible like structures that we don't even question, things like the bell schedule, keep us Mm -hmm. all confined in these rigid structures that don't yeah, don't really make it possible to do things wildly different, to offer a very different kind of hot dog experience. Mm-hmm. Versus now we have a contest that sounds like this. Uh, John is bringing in bacon-wrapped hot dogs, and Catlin's got a Kansas City-style hot dog, which, by the way, I think the Kansas City dog actually has like sauerkraut and dill pickles, uh, <laughs> but it's like a modified Chicago dog. And mine might be barbecued, and my, yours might be uh, boiled or broiled, right? So it's totally different. Mine and is actually a meat in- substitute because I don't eat There you hot go. Dogs. There you go. Even better. A meatless <laughs> hot dog. Exactly. But look at the look where we are on a Venn diagram now, right? It's a totally different environment. And so what I do is I go to schools and I say, tell me about your reading program. We do AR. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what else you got? Oh, we do Latin roots. How do you do them? We do worksheets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Good. Um, how do you teach writing? Oh, we do hamburger paragraphs. I'm like, dude, and you're surprised that you're not having breakout results because I see this in New Jersey. I see this in Mexico City. I see this in Australia. It's the same thing everywhere. And you're surprised you're not having better results than anybody else. How is that possible? And it's because going back to the Terry Jones thing, we are doing the same thing we've always done. And we're expecting it to work better. And the same thing we've always done leaves out the number one core, which is the human child. It's the worst possible mix ever. Right. Well, and the things that's challenging for me, if I think about this from a teacher perspective, you know, a teacher listening to this podcast right now is like, there's so many aspects of this educational machine they have zero control over. And so, oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna clap back on that one. Oh yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> um, when's the last time CDE showed up in your classroom to see if you were doing the right thing? True. I for a while there was no administrator <laughs> who even popped their right. head into my classroom. Right, right. Well, and here's my dirty little secret. I got started on this whole thing because I was in a two school district where they forgot to send me textbooks one year, and I said. I really had a moment. I had to sit down and sit and talk to myself. Do I want them to send me textbooks or can I do this from scratch? Right. And then I had this second epiphany, which is, do I want to be, 20 years from now, do I want to say, you know what? We got through the book. Is that really what I want for my career? 
that I, I was the fastest at getting through the book or I was the fastest at at covering unit seven? Or do I really want to teach at another whole other level? Yeah. Although I, I I appreciate you pushing back and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna push back on you just a little bit in the sense that one of the things, and it's not like it's not doable, but I go into schools where they literally have 42 minutes with a group of kids. And sometimes mm-hmm. I just wanna like pinch my nose and be like, how do you <gasps> really like ignite curiosity, let kids engage in the messy work that is learning? Mm-hmm. In 45 minutes. It just feels so fast. You couldn't give me a better segue right now, Catlin. You could not have given me a better segue. We did not plan this for your listeners. No, we did not. Okay, I'm going to give you the opposite problem. What if I opened a school that was double block, so 85 minutes a day? Okay. So I just fixed your problem, right? I love that. Yes. No, no, I didn't. You know why I didn't fix your problem? Do you know why I didn't fix your problem? Because you know what our teachers did when we opened that school? They started lecturing for 55 Uh. minutes instead of 25 minutes. They started making 200-question quizzes instead of 50-question quizzes. Mm. They just took the current uh, hot dog from 7-Eleven that you don't esteem and made it three feet long. That doesn't make it any better. So that's where where Edge of Protocols really started to come into the fore for me because I realized this. Um, I don't know how much – I'm not an official brains researcher. I'm a journalism student. I'm not even a science uh, kid, right? But the thing is I know a couple of things about this. People learn faster with repetitions. Mm -hmm. When they do something every day, they're going to get way faster than if they do it once a quarter. I mean, dude, that's basic, right? That's basic. And the other thing was, and this is another football thing, at, when I played football, I didn't really even realize it till I got to the college level, which was our our daily practice was incredibly scripted. Like, they videotaped our whole practice. Mm-hmm. By when I came back the next day, they had broken down my performance in practice. You know why? Feedback spurs growth. Yeah. And they did other little things. Like if you've never played football, I'm assuming you haven't at this point. Um, at the at the university level, our coaches don't yell at us very much. They say things like this. Now watch how subtle this is. What was your technique on that play? Mm-hmm. They don't tell you what you did wrong. Oh, that'd be too easy. They ask you what you did wrong. And then I say this. I let them hook my left arm. And he says, so why are we doing that? That's a totally different approach than you're an idiot, right? You're an idiot. You're weak. You're not strong enough. They were very much into a Socratic seminar mode. And what they did at those practices was the first two hours or so of practice was five-minute segments, not five minutes and 10 seconds, not five minutes and 30 seconds. It was exactly five and go on to the next drill because they knew that the first day would be kind of a disaster because it was a new thing for everybody, even mm-hmm. though we'd been playing football for 10 years. Right. But by the third day, it was glassy smooth. And we were doing 20 skills for five minutes apiece every day. Other teams might be doing one skill for 25 minutes. Just let that sink in for a second. If I can do 20 skills a day and you can do three skills a day after a month, who's going to be better? Right. So it's almost like these bite-sized piece experiences where you have more exposure to a particular skill or activity. In an environment where the players could be F-bombed, corporally punished, made to run until they throw up or whatever, right? All Mm -hmm. those things. The coaches intuitively knew that if you did that to their guys, they'd quit. Right. Well, and I love this. I'm out of here. I love what you said about the way they encouraged you. It's basically we're forcing you to think metacognitively about kind of like, yep. what happened? Okay, why did I do that? Let me think through it, exactly. which is much more exactly. powerful. And see, that's the Terry Jones thing as I'm flashing back. See, we aren't 
taught to think about that. What we're taught to do is blame the kid, blame the parent. This is the thing where the Victorian mindset raises, rears its ugly head. So out of pure desperation as an emergency credential teacher, here's how I would start my back-to-school back meetings because I knew those parents, like you're talking about, they would have their long swords out for me, right? <laughs> Why did I get the emergency guy? Why is this guy my teacher? Why didn't I get Mrs. So-and-so? Her bulletin boards are beautiful, right? Right. I started it like this. Hey, guys, I need you to know I'm a state employee. I work for you. If something's not working, tell me what's not working. I'll adapt it or I'll explain why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Boom. The fight was over. Parents fell in love with that scenario. Fell in love. Hmm. Well, because they feel like they have an avenue of voice, right? You're going to listen. You're yeah. Gonna, yeah, absolutely. I found that one of the best ways to get teach- or parents on board with wildly different approaches to instruction and assessment and all kinds of things was really to open the lines of communication, to try to shine Mm -hmm. light on the work kids were doing and create kind of windows into the classroom so parents could see their kids engaged in the work that we were doing. Yep. And that's, I would say mine was similar to yours because I did wildly outlandish things. (laughs) That's why winning the awards matters. Um, that's why, you know, I wasn't always throwing all of the baby out with the bathwater, but I was being very purposeful and their kids were going home that night saying, you know, we did it today. It was so awesome. You're going to love this as an English teacher. So, um, quick, quick segue. I got to set up the story. Um, there's a standard in California, grade six through nine, that says students will recognize common literary devices in grade level appropriate texts. Does Mm -hmm. that sound familiar? It does. Okay. And then when I look in my textbook, this is part of my, this is part of the whole swirl. Like this is an endemic, a, a snapshot, a, a cross section of the whole thing. So I, I open up my textbook and it has onomatopoeia, alliteration, and foreshadowing. Frankly, three of the most useless of all of the literary devices. In fact, any kid that's watched Finding Nemo already knows all these. So I found a book called, uh, I went to One Day of Bitsa in 1996. I said one day. (laughs) Uh, And they gave us a book called Teaching Literary Devices with Picture Storybooks. I would suggest you buy this book as soon as we hang up. (laughs) It's not a book book. It's it's like an anthology Mm -hmm. where if you look up irony, it shows you the ironic quote from 20 books. Oh, that's the page awesome. number, everything. If you look up, um, if you look up subplot, it'll send, it'll give you twenty books that have subplot. And so I looked at that and I said, "Oh my God, how am I going to raise comprehension if I only teach these three crappy literary devices and check the box?" That was my epiphany. Mm-hmm. If I'm teaching sixth graders and they've never seen irony or poetic justice or metaphor, how do I raise comprehension with multiple choice quizzes? I cannot. So that was kind of where Iron Chef came in. I would break kids up into groups and you would have irony and she would have subplot and you would have metaphor. I found them a webpage where everything they needed was there. All they had to do was retell. They didn't have to create. They just had to retell. What's mm-hmm. it? You know, and then and give an example from a movie. Like, so irony. Okay right? It's ironic that uh, this happens in Finding Nemo, right? So this starts happening, Catlin. This starts happening. Parents call me. Hey, Crippo. I go, what's up? Um, you ruined movie night. Oh. Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, my kids used to just sit there and shut up and eat the popcorn. But now I get to hear this. Dad, that's a stereotype. How ironic. I think that there might be a subplot coming up. <laughs> and they're like, completely ruined movie night. Now it's turned into John Carippo's Literary Circus. And I'm like, I'm going to count that as a success from a kid that got a C-plus in reading last year. Yeah, You're like, that's a win. <laughs> yep. So if you extrapolate that whole, that whole approach across the board, the textbook is the limiting 
element in instruction. Okay. And then the second one is our mindset is the limiting piece because we're trying to get kids ready for college. Not my job. You should have seen the freshman class when I told them they could get into CSU Channel Islands with a 2.8 GPA. (laughs) Because they're used to what? If you don't get a 4.0, you ain't going anywhere. That's a bunch of hooky. That is not true. Right. But we try to terrify kids into learning, and that's really probably not the best option. Well, and then we wonder why there's such enormous rates of anxiety and depression. I mean, because these kids are in these pressure boxes of pressure cookers trying to get their grades up to go to college and do all the things that they feel like they need to do to get into that next level. When I'm like, let's let's enjoy now. Let's embrace this present experience. So you alluded to Iron Chef, which is one of the mm-hmm. Edu Protocols in your first Edu Protocol field guide. Now you have two field guides available. So what was there like a moment? Was there something tangible that inspired you to write the first Edu Protocols field guide? Was there like a yeah, moment when you're yeah. like, this has to happen? Yeah. It was middle age. Um, (laughs) Marlena and I, uh, she's my co-author, we were working together in Mariposa County Office of Education, and then we both departed. I came to Q, and Marlena went to another county office. And in that departing conversation, I was like, you realize that if we get hit by a bus, all this cool stuff we've figured out is just gone into the ether. It will be lost if we don't codify it. Mm. And she was like, I have no idea how to write a book, but you're right. And I just happened to be friends with Dave Burgess. And um, I called Dave and I said, can we pitch a deal? And he said, yeah. And we wrote him two chapters and he said, I love it. And we were off. Now, what's the reason it's called Field Guide for your listeners who may not be aware is it's not a narrative. It's not a biography. I'm pretty good at anecdotes, as you can tell from mm-hmm. the podcast. I'm pleased mm-hmm. with my ability to tell a an, a, a little soliloquy. Um, but the, the book is a field guide, and it is 16 templates that can be used in almost any grade level and almost any subject area. So mm-hmm. that if you move subject area and grade level, your skill goes with you. Okay. You don't have to worry about your cabinet. Leave the cabinet. You can have my cabinet. I don't need it. And um, I've got uh, a really good friend. I'm sure you've hung out a little bit with David Terrio at David uh, T-E-D-U down in, in the Fountain Valley area. And he was on a parallel track with uh, Sean Zebarth. Uh, they're both super cool cats. But like David and I were talking one time over delicious food because that's Dave's thing. And um, <laughs> Dave's like, yeah, I got five preps. But we're all doing the same thing. And I go, right? So they're all doing exactly the same activities, but one class is in uh, Fahrenheit 451, and another's in 1984, and another's in um, uh, Pick Any Book. Right. The activities are the same. The part that changes is the book title. Mm. And when you do that, your productivity soars because you're building a kick-butt pedagogy that you can deploy on any book instead of what color would Gatsby's shoes in Chapter 5. <laughs> because that's not winning for anybody, right? Right. And especially for those teachers, because there's so many out there who have multiple preps and they're trying to plan for all these different classes. And so if you have a really amazing strategy that drives deeper thinking, how great if you can use it in multiple settings. In all classes. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, I'll give you one of my favorites because you blew my mind and filled my heart at Fall Q on that (laughs) keynote, which I think is like 10,000 views on YouTube. So for your (sighs) listeners, check out Catlin's um, uh, uh, mind-blowing keynote at Fall Q. Like the, The audience was like leaning 
leaning forward. Like that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Usually you you talk a lot, right? Like you go out and talk I like I do. And it's hard to tell nowadays what the audience is thinking because they're head down a lot and they might be tweeting about you or they might be doing their groceries. You can't tell. Checking their email. When you, <laughs> yeah. When you were doing that at Fall Q, that audience was leaning forward and they were into it. That was probably the least emails I've ever seen in a keynote. Yeah, they were a um, great group. So I, I'm going to give you a couple things that'll, that'll, uh, that you'll appreciate from that perspective. Because uh, again, for your listeners, your concept was how do we lighten our cognitive load on us? Mm-hmm. How do we create systems that mean I don't lose weekends, right? right. Uh, because, I, and this is my baseline as an English teacher, and I'm not at your level. I'm a journalism teacher who likes to teach English. I'm not an English English teacher, so I don't know anything about 13th century Japanese poetry. <laughs> so, um, nor do I, for the record. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, the, the, my imposter, my imposter hat's coming off. Um, so, so uh, you talked about you know fast feedback, getting the kids to be talking about the content. Those are all beautiful concepts. So here's one that I want I would like to share just as as what that looks like in a nutshell. So the hamburger paragraph, Catlin. Can I get an amen? That's probably the most negative thing you could do oh, in a writing scenario. I just want I don't right? want to trap uh, them into the firstly, hamburger. Secondly, thirdly, as one can see, I hope you like my crappy essay. The end. Right over and over again. And um, so, so I, I put I cobbled together about four things. There's a book, uh, an amazing book that you should I, I should buy it and send it to you. Uh, Pinkert's Practical Grammar by Robert Pinkert. It is amazing, and he's got a whole chapter on what is a paragraph. And I read that chapter, and it's a good chapter. But okay. the, here, I'm going to give you the, the Reader's Digest version. A paragraph pursues an idea, and when it stops pursuing the idea, it is over, and you get a new one right? It's that simple. (laughs) And yet the hamburger paragraph is this whole thing with must have three facts and right, all that kind of craziness um, where we're trying to help kids, but we're actually hurting them by over restricting them. So um, I bumped into this website by a guy named Ian Bird at Ian A. Bird, and it just randomly generates emoji. Like you push the button, it makes a new emoji. Push the button, it makes a new emoji. It's filtered, so no middle finger, no gun, no bomb. <laughs> sadly, sadly, the poo got wiped out because I didn't. I personally am not offended by the poo, but that one got wiped out. Um, and then I, 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 so I saw that, and I thought, oh, that's really cool. And then, but I was like, what do I do with it? So I was going along, and then I realized in Socrative, have you ever seen Socrative? Oh yeah, I've used it forever. Okay, okay so mo- what most teachers do. And I do not need you to have a come to Jesus meeting right now. So if 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 you if you're doing it wrong, just don't say anything. Just let it pretend like you're being normal. <laughs> what I used to do was I would spend a whole Saturday or a whole Sunday pumping in forty or fifty questions. Don't say that you did that because it would make me feel bad for you. I never did that. Oh, good. So my epiphany was: if you go into Socrative, there's a thing that says short answer. Guess how many questions there are? One. And guess what it is? Open ended. Mm. So dig this. Here was my work epiphany. Okay, and this is where I'm going to merge what you're talking about with what I'm talking about. So dig this. I stand in front of human kids, and I say, write a declarative sentence about this picture. When do they write it? Right now. How many sentences? One. (laughs) When they're done writing, I hit start vote. It shoots all of their writing out to their own devices. Done. I go, okay, that was pretty horrible, you guys. So uh, let's (laughs) let's talk about what I meant by that. 
And so I give them a definition. I put up a new picture. Let's write a declarative sentence about this picture. When do they write? Right now. I'm only asking one question at a time, but I'm cleaning up the mess after each rep. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, which is better than having a bunch of sentences and then spending ages yeah, trying yeah, to get Yeah, why do I need 30 sentences so then I now lose a weekend right. grading the stuff? And you know what? Who cares about these sentences five days from now? Nobody, right? right. So I said, wait a minute, we could do that, and we could pair it up with emojis, and it could be a paragraph. So now it goes like this. I take the Ian Bird random emoji power uh, uh, um, emoji generator, and I put up one emoji, and I put the kids into Socrative, short answer. I go, write one sentence, don't hit submit. Write one sentence about the emoji, because you're going to get another emoji in about 10 seconds. And then the second emoji has the hook to the first emoji somehow. And the third emoji has to connect on that same logic line, four and five, and then they hit submit. And now we have a random emoji power paragraph. Hmm. And it's crazy as it sounds, kids will beg to do this again. They will beg. They will literally beg. They'll say, can we do another one? I did this for Laura Spencer's school down in Del Mar. So they brought me 90 kids. I don't know if this ever happens to you. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be over there the other day. You want me to do some guest teaching? They go, yeah, sure. So I come into the room. There's like 97 sixth graders. I'm oh like, my okay. gosh. That's a lot of sixth graders. <laughs> yeah. Now, in a typical environment, how how long would it take me to grade their papers? It'd be forever, right? Yeah. So Luckily, we were geared up to do random emoji power paragraph, and I jumped them into their Chromebooks with very little instruction, and I said, one, one sentence per emoji, pursue an idea, go. So they all write. It takes seven minutes. It's not that long. And they're excited. They're like, oh, my gosh, what's this going to be? When I hit start vote, they can all read what they wrote. That's the first big shift. They can all read what they wrote. And you know what happened? Probably 95% of them, the last sentence sent, they all died. <laughs> right? And they all died. And and I saw it, and I'm scanning through them, and here's what the kids do. They all start putting their hands up like, you know, the no bear, the right. no bear meme. Sure. They're like, no, mister, mister, we're better than that. <laughs> we can write better than that. And they didn't realize that they had seen what they all wrote like in in real time. That had never happened for them. And I go, you guys want to do another? And they're like, yeah, 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 we'll do another. So now I have them do another one. Catlin, I roll in on kids I don't know, and I've cranked out two paragraphs in 15 minutes. Right, right. And you have them you super where engaged, going and they want to do oh more. Oh my God, yes. Here's the, best, here's the best ending to the story, though. They're going along, and uh, they, um, they, uh, they do the second, the second paragraph, and one kid out of the 95 writes, and they all died. And I scroll down to like number double A, and I go, what do you guys think? And they go, like, as a group, it was amazing. It was like a Monty Python skit where the whole group answers quarterly. They're like, oh, no, that... That makes sense. He did a good job. We like what he did there. <laughs> it was so awesome. So I feel like with my sixth graders, I can do three or four paragraphs in half an hour. I'm only going to grade the last one because the first two are formative. What? And then and then I'm going to wrap it up with this. What do you call cheese which is not yours? It's a bad dad joke, Catelyn. Cheese that's not yours, what do you call it? Nacho cheese. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> so what would you call a paragraph which is not yours? Nacho paragraph. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I invented the nacho paragraph, and it goes like this. We do three or four reps, and on the fourth rep, at my choice, I pick one of the kids' paragraphs to nacho. Now, the nacho doesn't mean it's broken, and it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it needs something. It might need punctuation. Mm. It might need to be in first person. It might need two pronouns. So it's not broken. It's not defective, but it needs something. Just needs a if I something. pick yours to be the nacho, 
Yeah. And if you pick yours, if yours gets picked to be the nacho, you get double points for the day because I want it to be a fun experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, what I do is I copy that into the question of the next short answer. Every kid copies that kid's writing into their box and revises. Oh, I Just love let that. Let that sit there for a second. Do I need to teach editing marks anymore? Nope. I just skipped that phase. I went straight to revision. Hmm. Yeah. And you had all that great formative assessment data that you're just like consuming as the teacher in the moment, which is amazing. Yep. 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 And I've done this with adults just to to prove how good it is. I, I put 50, 60, 70 people in a room, write in a positive sentence. Typically, I'll get 20% that know what that is. And then I let them know, by the way, that's a fourth grade standard. Uh, I had a whole room of superintendents that did this one time. They wrote, this sentence is positive. I was like, good try, guys. <laughs> That's not it. And so then I coach him real quick on what one is. And then I say, let's try it again. And this is the power of reps, right? I understand just like my football coach, the first rep's pr- going to be pretty bad. In fact, I even tell the kids, if you really don't have anything, just put ID cl- IDK so we can just stop the bleeding right off the get-go, right? I don't need you thinking about it for 10 minutes. And then we do the second rep. And I'm here to tell you within three reps, I can get any age group of people up to 95 to 98% accuracy on a positives. And here's my kicker. What am I grading tonight, Catlin? Nothing. What's my lesson plan for tomorrow, Catlin? Same Uh, thing, faster. (laughs) More reps. Because more reps. I'm going to do four a day. How's it going to look on Friday? Same thing, faster. Yep. Yep. (laughs) No, that's great. I love the idea of that, the real time. I also like the the audience component of it too, right? Like if you're Mm -hmm. publishing it. Them seeing what they really write matters. It's powerful. Oh, yeah. Like it's going to be seen beyond somebody, you know, beyond just a teacher. They want it to be good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. And then that also works in Nearpod. You just do a uh, open-ended question. It works in Pear Deck. You do an open-ended question. You know, any place you can do it in a Google form. It's just that you don't get that voting aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, But pedagogically, it holds up, right? Here's a model. You're going to suck a little bit. Second round, you're going to be better. Fourth round, you're going to own it. Tomorrow, you're going to A right out of the gate. Right. It really takes that whole, like, we're going to master this and puts it on fast forward. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I'm also re- destroying my lesson planning time. And I'm also, I have nothing to grade on the weekends and everybody's passing. Notice I didn't say everybody's getting an A, but everybody is passing. Right. And hopefully they're engaged because it's that active, really engaging experience that you're creating for them. And the more you repeat a practice like that, they're going to gain Mm -hmm. confidence as somebody who feels like, oh, I can do this. We did this before. Yeah. And so what grade, what grade in your imaginary world, what grade are you teaching right now? Tenth. Okay, imagine that I do this kind of activity all year long with ninth. How do you feel about that? I feel like I would be excited they'd be coming to me with a pretty strong foundation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I'm going to take them through declarative interrogative. I'm going to take them through a positive semicolon. They'll be able to write anything at the drop of a hat, and they'll be able to pursue an idea in a paragraph. Right. And so you just published the second Edu Protocols field guide, which just a few mm-hmm. months ago, right? And so yep. is this hamburger... Uh, 
addressed in, is this uh, strategy addressed in that? Is there? Yeah, that's in book two. Okay. Um, book one is like the book, is the boot up one. So if, if somebody thinks this sounds good, I would definitely read book one first because okay. it's all the background and all the build. Book two has like remixes and stacking and more complicated ones, but there's also cool ones in there like thin slides that are also really easy. So, I mean, if somebody's a cool cat, they could read them out of order, but it makes more sense to read them in order because you get the, you get the little pieces of, of the background. Okay. As as it builds. And so in that first book, as an English teacher, I was particularly drawn to, I'm going to hack this name right now, but Buka Kucha. Oh, Buka Kucha. Buka Kucha. <laughs> okay. So it is, uh, if, you know what Pecha Kucha is, right? No. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> if you go to P-E-C-H-A-K-U-C-H-A.com, okay. Okay. it's actually a Japanese drinking game. Oh. Um, they do it in bars, <laughs> okay. and you get 20 seconds per slide for 20 seconds. I mean, for 20 slides. It's kind of like an Ignite. I think that the Ignite concept was kind of stolen from Pecha Kucha. Okay. And so the idea is it's a very defined time. Boom, 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 right? And so Marlena and I were talking about that because I have a really different approach to um, Lit Circles. If anybody looks up John Caripo Lit Circles, I got like 97 slides on SlideShare they can get. So Marlena took part of my idea of... of um, my attack on lit circles, mm -hmm. which is not like opinionizer, you know, on all that crazy stuff. We're doing stuff like four types of conflict and we're doing mm -hmm. types, uh, what literary devices. So it's, it's a, it's a lit circle concept, mm -hmm. but it's more aggressive academically. So like, I don't have a draw your favorite scene, for example, right? Like, I don't have that. That's okay. not a reading skill. Okay. Um, but uh, oh, actually, I got to stop for a second. So I had a really good conversation with Leslie Long. Shout out to Leslie Long. Um, we were we were struggling with. She liked the drawing part, and mm -hmm. I said, "I'm not against drawing. I'm an art guy, but mm -hmm. is that a language art standard? And do I want a kid to draw for a whole week?" So I came back to visit her three weeks later, and this is what she came up with. And I think you'll like this too because it's a book of Kucha format. Um, kids, she has kids go on Google Learn Images and search backdrops, mm. haunted mansion, living room. There's oh, no people in backdrops. <gasps> Magic forest, right? Yeah. Battlefield. And then she has them drop emojis and put thought bubbles. Bam. Visualization mm. for everybody in five minutes. What's my prep time? Nothing. Right. right. So so that's kind of a that's a good lead into Book Kucha. Basically, Book Kucha is I give the kids a problem of the day, which is let's talk three characteristics of the protagonist mm -hmm. or three characteristics or attributes of the antagonist or something ironic. Anything I want to do in my language arts bag of tricks. Okay. But the shift is kids get three minutes to build one slide with their um assertions or citations or whatever their evidence is three minutes to throw a quick slide together and they work in groups of three and then they do a quick presentation hmm. boom 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 so they get like 12 seconds to present i'm reading holes stanley yelnats has stinky feet he likes <laughs> tennis shoes and um he figures out how to solve the li lizards with splooge done and so they're kind of doing um they're kind of doing a lot of text to self, mm -hmm. and they're also doing like book, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like book advertisements. Right. I know that's not the right term. Like peaking each other's interests about books. Yes, yes. Right. It's, it's really active, but it only takes three minutes. And right. then you can have the whole cl class share within about 10 minutes. So I like to also call them, I think the subtitle for Book of Kucha should be like Flash Lit Circles. So we're not waiting till the end of the week to lit circle because that's what I see out of twelve-year-old kids. Hey, you got your lit circles done yet? No, it's not Friday. So <laughs> have you started? Nope, still not Friday. 
So my goal is, where are you on page nine? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So like I come in like this and I go, read for 10 minutes, go. Protagonist of the book you're reading, book a kucha, boom. So it's now, and we're working every day. And then what's my grading like? Almost nothing, because I'm just watching them and it's pass fail. Wow. And you know what? The immediacy of that for them, like the urgency. Oh, it's everything. We got to collaborate. We got to create something to demonstrate that we like get this and then they immediately get to share it. And then if they suck, it's okay. We're going to do it again tomorrow. Everybody that does it gets points for participation. That's the other shift. Mm. They get points for participation. They don't get parts for perfection. I'm not going to grade them down if it's not perfect. I am going to grade them for being aggressive and sharing their thoughts and their reasoning, right? But I'm not going to grade them down if they have an error because I will have them do it. If they miss something, we'll do it again tomorrow and tomorrow we'll get it right. Nice. So we clearly agree that teachers do way too much of the work in classrooms and it's like this trap where they end up doing the heavy lifting. So if you had any piece of advice about how teachers can like rethink that traditional workflow, what would it be? Well, I would tell them to immediately go to Twitter and look up hashtag Gadget Protocols and see what their fellow teachers are doing Mm because it's all out there and it's free. Now, we've mentioned the book and I got to be honest with you, Marlena and I, we really frankly don't care if we sell any books. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why if you go to eduprotocols.com, you can see dozens of of free templates. Well, maybe not dozens, a dozen free templates. We're more interested in changing education. It just so happens that selling a few books helps us fund that project. Right. But um, we literally give away free lifetime tech support. So if anybody likes the sound of any of this, um, we're here for you. Just just ping me and we'll walk you through it. I am, I have never said to anybody, you need to buy the book. I've never said that once. Right. Um, and then I'll connect. throw one, one more bonus. Have you seen Game of Quotes yet? No. Okay, I'm gonna leave. Is this a good place to wrap up the show? Because sure. my boss is calling me in three minutes. Okay, so game of quotes, Catlin. How long have we struggled with independent reading time? Forever. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like, yes, it sounds good to have kids read quietly. I agree. What happens in real life is far short <laughs> of the mark, right? It's like no. In fact, we. I got so depressed by it at one point that I switched to do D E A W, which is drop everything and write. We, I just said, look, you're, you guys aren't reading anything. Let's just write a twenty minute essay every day. <laughs> just, you're not reading. You're just wasting our time. So, um, so game of quotes was brought to us at Rockstar Camp two summers ago by Heather Marshall at Mrs. Marshall CMS on Twitter, and it goes like this. Everybody gets out their books or, dig this, their new Zella article mm. or a common lit article of their choice. Do I care? I do not. It could be anything. Fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter. Read quietly for three minutes or five minutes, whatever your metric is. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that discrete time period, I release the question of the day. And then everybody attempts to find the answer to the question of the day in their book. And once a person says, I've got it. Everybody has two more minutes at the end. Of, once once one person says, I've got it, then the whole class has two more minutes. And so here are some of the questions of the day. Something you wouldn't want to hear in a bathroom. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Something you wouldn't want your teacher to catch on a note you pass to a student. <laughs> um, something that would sound funny in a British accent. Something that would sound funny in a pirate accent. Oh, I love that. That's hilarious. Okay, game of quotes. And so then... Yeah, and so it's so good, I'll send you the slides for it, that we've literally seen kids going home and buying post-it note flags so that they're ready in case this question gets asked. 
Awesome. I could totally put a link to that in the show notes for this because I'm sure there are plenty of teachers who are like, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Super fun, super easy. Okay, so I know you have to run, but before you do... One thing you do for yourself, John Crippo, to try to keep balanced, and it doesn't have to have anything to do with education. It's just something for you in your life that helps you to create balance. Oh, I just get out. Uh, I do two main activities. I like to barbecue meat. And if anybody looks at my Instagram, it would look like I eat a lot of it, but I just make it and then give it away. <laughs> okay. Like It's for family meals. I am not eating that whole tri-tip. I just get a couple slices. You're like a baker who shares their baking, but with meat. Yes. Okay. And then I like, uh, I go up into the Sierra and I buy really big stumps and I sand them down and make footstools for my friend. That's my sanding therapy. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, John. It was a pleasure to chat. It was super good to talk to you. And I, I just enjoy all the work you've done and all the sharing. And I think you're just such a paragon of our profession. So it was oh, an honor to talk you. to you. Absolutely. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. I appreciate that. My big takeaway from this conversation is really just the validation that teachers work so incredibly hard and we have to find ways to work smarter, not harder, right? We already work hard enough. And so I like that these edge protocols are strategies that teachers can use with any subject area or grade level, they're really nimble. So if a teacher has, God forbid, four or five preps, and I know they're out there and that's so incredibly exhausting to plan for, wouldn't it be nice to be able to take similar strategies or the same strategy and use it in with different classes and not have to spend quite so much time in that planning mode. And then I also love John's comment about let's not take home the work and grade it. Let's spend time in class collecting formative assessment data, really seeing where kids are at and adjusting in the moment instead of carrying home just like enormous stacks of paper to wade through to then realize, oh, they didn't get this and they didn't get that and we're going to need to go back over it. So I appreciate that they're nimble. They can be applied to multiple subject areas, and hopefully they will save teachers time not only on the planning end, but also on the back end when it comes to the feedback and the grading, because so much of that can be moved into the classroom and happen immediately in the middle of these activities. Our teacher tip today comes from Rick Reyes, and his tip is for controlling email distractions. He says, one, turn off notifications, and two, use a separate phone app for your work email. And I love these because they're simple. Turning off notifications means we don't have to see that red number ramping up and telling us how many emails are waiting for us, which is stressful. Instead, when you're ready, you can open up your email and you'll see how many emails you have. You don't need the notification reminder um, dinging and kind of distracting you from whatever you're working on or just visually creating that pressure of, oh my gosh, now I have 16 emails waiting for me. And then the second idea that you use a different app for your work email. So maybe you just have the Google Mail app signed into your school email and you know that when you you check that, it's going to be just school email. And then if you go into Safari, it's your personal email. So you just keep them separate. They're not all in one big bucket stressing you out. Um, And then he also says, 
he likes having it on his phone, but he wants to be in control of when he looks at the email. He doesn't want the email kind of controlling him and telling him when to look at his email, which I absolutely love. So thank you so much, Rick, for your teacher tip. And if you have a tip for me, something that helps you to find or maintain balance in your own life, you can find me on Twitter at Catlin underscore Tucker and share your tip with me so I can share it on a future episode of The Balance. Thank you to StudySync for producing and sponsoring this podcast. StudySync is committed to helping teachers find balance in their lives by providing them with a robust multimedia ELA platform that simplifies lesson planning, automatically differentiates tasks for learners at different skill levels and language proficiencies, and blends online and offline engagement to help students develop as thinkers, readers, writers, and speakers. StudySync's most recently released product, Sync Blasts, expands the company's scope to include an emerging supplemental digital inquiry solution for social studies and science classrooms. Visit studysync.com for more information or visit the link in our show notes. By the way, the views expressed in this podcast are my own. Thanks again for listening in. Thanks again for listening in.